Shabbat Shalom. Reading this morning um, from Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, sitting at the right hand of God. Focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So we are, um, we're continuing, if you, if, if you uh, it's been kind of a bit of a protracted um, break from the book of Colossians. We weren't sure when we, when we started out whether we would go through the entirety of the book of Colossians. But our feeling is that we want to continue in the book of Colossians, which we are today, and we did last week. Um, and I'd encourage you to go back, and we've got, I think, just about all. There may have been one that got lost, one of the messages. I don't recall if it's that one or a different one. But between our website and the YouTube channel, hopefully you'll be able to find any of the older messages on Colossians from before the, uh, the High Holy Days. And... Uh, and yeah, I'd encourage you to go back and, and look at those and just to kind of get our bearings again for, what, um, for what's going on in Colossians. Remember the big picture of this letter um, because sometimes we like to zero in on certain sections like we did last week and say, well, this is what Paul is doing here, this is what he's doing here. The bigger picture, I always have to remember where you are contextually in the bigger picture and, and how things started. And Paul began his letter by telling the believers, look, I'm excited. I heard about your faith. Ever since we heard about your faith, we've been praying for you. It's great that you've, you, you're showing love to one another and you've come to accept Yeshua as the Messiah. But then he says, you need to, there's more to it. You've got to continue on in that. Keep things kind of pure, so to speak. Keep on track with that. And he was encouraging them in the culture that they were to not get uh, all caught up in a lot of the nonsense that was going on in the stuff that they were, that they were seeing around them. Um, the primary idea being that, that the, the people were, you know, anything that was, that was physical, physical pleasure, physical enjoyment, whatever it was, that was all bad, and we had to sort of crucify, in a way, in, in a sense, all of that, and uh, label that fleshly, and then only things that are spiritual, those are the things, you know, the more spiritual we can be, and the more we kind of punish ourselves physically, the closer we can get to God, and Paul is, is sort of saying that's not really the case. Now, on the one hand, there is a, a balance with all of that. As we'll see today, I think as we go through these, this passage and some of these verses, I'm going to look at a little bigger context than just what was read today, um, just to get our bearings. So we'll see that there is a bit of a balance with that idea of not focusing on just all this, this fleshly stuff. But keep in mind that Paul's primary focus, when you read admonitions and you read kind of criticisms or things that are going on uh, in this letter and other letters, often they are occasional, meaning there's a specific reason he was writing it to these people at that time, doesn't mean we can't draw something out of it, but they are occasional. But his primary focus is on building up the assurance of their faith. Uh, that's the main focus, not just saying, I want to tear down all this other stuff. And we tend just to we want to focus on the negative and tear all this stuff down. His, his primary focus was on building up their, their faith um, and not necessarily tearing down that opposition, uh, whatever exactly that might have been. Again, we speculate exactly what was going on. So we want to focus more on the truths and the underlying things that Paul was building up as opposed to trying to pick apart and figure out, you know, yeah, they were doing this and I need to now find, you know, make sure that I don't do that and pick apart anybody that's, that even looks like they're doing that. 
Um, another thing to keep in mind when you're reading Colossians and is some of the stuff that we talked to, Chaim spoke about last week, and I spoke about when I, when I talked about some of these uh, verses from chapter 2 as well, is that Paul was not taking a sledgehammer to the Torah. He was not taking a sledgehammer, anything that had any inkling or sniffed or smelled like Judaism, for example. He wasn't just demolishing all of that stuff, anything Jewish. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that any practice... Any practice that anybody engages in, any observance or anything, needs to be an, an outpouring of the evidence of their faith, something that encourages their faith, something that's a, a visible representation of their faith, not something that, that they're doing as like, uh, you know, there's a faith deficiency. Like if your doctor says you need vitamin D, well, you go out in the sun, or you need vitamin C, you take a supplement. Anything we do, any kind of observance is not a faith supplement, is what he's saying. It needs to be an outpouring of something that's inside of you, a recognition of that, not, not because there is a deficiency. That's number one. And number two is it certainly should not be something that then is thrust upon someone else. Those are his big, his big focuses there. And that, you know, look, I want to encourage you in, what, in the decision you've already made and assure you that uh, one's faith, one's belief in Yeshua um, reconciles you with God, period. These other things, we're not, we're not saying they're bad, but we're saying you know, where, where they're coming from could be. But the belief in Yeshua reconciles you with God, period. So again, go back and catch up on some of those messages, whether you read the messages that we or listen to, the, listen to or watch the messages uh, that we've done, or just read the book from beginning to end. It's not a long book. So um, let's, let's get into this section here, beginning with chapter 3. We're going to stay primarily there. I won't cover... Um, all of chapter 3, um, but a, a lot of it just kind of conceptually. But Paul basically is giving a foundation in chapter 3 for um, our ethical lives as believers. He's giving some, some foundation for ethics, laying out some details of how a person that believes in Yeshua should act. Okay, So verses 1 to 4, which Bix read, are kind of um, what I would label as sort of a what to do what a person should do, and then, the, and then a good bit of the remaining part of the chapter, certainly verses 5 and following, get into the how-to. So you go from the what-to-do to the how-to-do-it, how it plays out in life. And if you read the, the, the chapter, and I'm going to skim some of the other chapter, but if you were to read, you'll see that Paul, all the things he talks about doing and not doing and how to do them fall into three major spheres, three major areas of life. Uh, the first one being kind of this kind of life that we're in right now, this communal life of like believers that are, that are here for the same purpose. This is how you to act within that sphere. And then he goes on to talk about um, the family sphere later on in the chapter, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, you know, children, right, that kind of stuff, uh, fathers, mothers. And then the other sphere he talks about is, call it the work sphere, you know, it's uh, contextually servants and masters, but it's, it's, the, it's the work sphere. The occupation, it could be volunteering, but it is the, that kind of outside, not family, not congregation, but outside where you're doing stuff. Those are the three spheres that, this, that all of the stuff here in chapter 3 uh, are, are dealing with. So, you think about yourself for a moment. You probably fall, if you're, if you're here, you fall in at least one of those spheres. Um, but if you fall in one of those three spheres, then this information in this chapter uh, is for you. So please don't go to sleep if you, you know, at least don't snore at least. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. 
But uh, again, chapter 3 of Colossians begins with an ethics section. And I say that because, you know, up until now, Paul has dealt with a lot of theological topics, okay? Theological topics in the sense of truths about uh, who you are in God, who God is and who you are in God, who is God and who we are in God. Uh, He has said things such as uh, belief in Yeshua has rescued you from darkness and brought you into his kingdom. He has said that belief in Yeshua provides redemption and forgiveness of sins. Uh, He has said that Yeshua is the image of the invisible God, right? Co-equal with God. Uh, In Yeshua bodily dwelt all the fullness of deity. And we all know exactly what that means and how that works. And no one has lost their life over trying to explain that in perfect English over the last several centuries. But he has said some of these these truths. Uh, He has said things like all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. uh, And all of God's mystery is all wrapped up in Yeshua himself. The person he has said these kind of theological things, and the relationship between you know theology and ethics is that at least the way Paul is presenting it here is that theology, what you believe about God, who God is, and who you are in God, is the foundation for your ethics. Okay, so what you believe about God informs what you do. That that's his point. So he spent this time with theology, and now he's moved into this this section on on ethics. So that leads you to a question, if, there's no, if there is no belief in God, you've got theology, ethics, I mean, because most people have ethics out there, right? But what's the foundation for those ethics? This is, I mean, I took ethics in seminary, it's not, it's not easy, even though we're all kind of supposedly believing the same thing there, it's not, a, not, an easy, not an easy class, I mean, there's a lot of thorny questions, but what's, fa- what's informing a person's ethics, you know? What's right, what's wrong, and what to do, and so forth. If it's not theology, you've got some choices. You, could, um, you can have the foundation be things. You can rely on stuff, um, seeking your satisfaction, uh, your approval, your power, and your success through how well you manipulate the world and the things around you, how you've kind of worked that out. You can, you can have a foundation to your ethical behavior based on other people. You know, who do I like? What is, what is this person, um, you know, how can I adopt their beliefs? How can I get their approval? Um, How can I take their principles and so forth? How can I take their standards and have that be the foundation of of what I do in life? Or you can take none of those and do what I think a lot of people end up doing is they they rely on themselves. You know, I I actually heard an interview with a a sports figure this past week and who who inspires you and so forth? And this person's like, nobody. You know, sports figure's a little bit arrogant, you know? Nobody inspires me. I, I inspire myself, you know? That's the, probably the killer attitude that it takes maybe to work to, to make it in sports, but you know, that's the idea of building your foundation on you, your charisma, your abilities, your talents, your charm, and so forth. Um, so all of those things, reliance on self or reliance on others or reliance on you, they're all, at some point, you're going to find inconsistencies if you try to utilize that as a foundation for your ethics. There's going to be inconsistencies are found in all those things. And at, at the end of the day, those strategies outside of theological foundation, I believe, uh, those strategies leave you empty. They leave you miserable. They leave you let down. They leave you hopeless. They leave you paralyzed. They leave you feeling small and fearful. And maybe not now, maybe not at the end of the day, meaning today, but at some point in your life, I think that's the, that's the position that you end up in. Uh, maybe it's at the end of your life. Maybe it's at some point when you're sick. We talked about some sickness and people in a weak state or whatever. Maybe it's at that point in your life when you find yourself in that kind of situation. 
when you're without the things that you've relied on, or maybe when people have let you down, or maybe you've let yourself down, or what have you, you find out at that time that, you know, that foundation, not, not the theological foundation, but these other things that maybe I've been relying on too much, um, you realize um, I am uh, not infinite. I'm finite, you know, that there is an end to me. I'm not, I am, in fact, fi finite. I think that's where they all kind of leave you. And so the message from Paul here starts with that theological foundation. He says, you are this. You are not tied to yourself. You are tied to the Messiah. And therefore, because you are tied to God through Yeshua, therefore, you ought to do these things. It's important to remember the foundation. It's not given good advice. It's based on a foundation of, of who you are, whose you are, and therefore, this is what your life should be about. This is what your life should look like. So, Going back to verses 1 and 2, if you've got your Bible there, we'll be looking primarily in chapter 3 of, of Colossians. Verses 1 and 2 say, So, if you have been raised with Messiah, seek the things that are above, where Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And Bix, what, what translation did you read from? I'm curious. What translation Bible did you have? Of course, okay. It, it get bring, brought out a particular aspect that I'll talk about in a second. So if you've, been, if you've been raised with Messiah, seek the things that are above, where Messiah is seated at, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So as a believer in Messiah, understand that you are connected with him, and that the idea of being raised with Messiah in, in one sense, in a very real sense, that is when you're, when you're raised up, you possess a, uh, it doesn't take much, maybe an inch for me, but to possess a new perspective, some type of new vantage point, right? When you're raised up, right? You see things a little bit differently. I think about, uh, you know, at, at, the, at the zoo, at least at Denver Zoo, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, enclosures where there's like a little rail and there's some shrubbery up into the rail and you sit there and look at the animals and, but I've got certain people in my family that are down there, and they're like, they want to, you know, I, I want to see, I want to see, pick me up. So I pick them up, and oh, now they can see the animal in there. You know, before, they're, they're, you know, they were just sort of, when they were on their own, right, they were looking at a shrub. <laughs> now that they're tied to me, they're risen up with me, they see the zebra, right? And understand that as a believer, your perspective when you're risen with Messiah is different, okay? And that can be good. It is a good thing. Uh, but it can also be a, a stumbling block, cause of trouble, when your values don't necessarily line up with the, the world around you. And quite frankly, that can be a continual battle um, that you experience over and over again. But the more that you're up, the more that you're raised and risen with God, the more you'll, you'll see the better view and probably care less about the people that are giving you a hard time because you're not down there looking at the shrub with them, you know? So if you have been raised with the Messiah, it says, seek the things that are above. And the Greek word there is not just simple like, like look, like you're looking for something. Um, it has the idea of trying to obtain, the idea where there's a, there's a seeking, but there's a, a desire to possess something as a result of your seeking. And the way TLV translated also is very uh, poignant in the fact that it's a continual. It says, I think here said, keep seeking, keep looking, keep, keep striving after. Uh, it's a continual process that, that's going on. That's the way the verb is formed there in the Greek. 
Uh, just to give you a couple of references for other ways that we, you, you're familiar with this word, uh, Matthew 6, uh, chapter 33, I'm sorry, Matthew 6, verse 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to that same seeking. It's not just look for it, it's, it's a continual seek, trying to obtain. Um, the way that the, the, the priests and the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the court were tried to seek for things to accuse Yeshua of, trump up charges against him so he could be convicted and executed and so forth. That same word there, they were seeking, they were groping, they were, it was a, an aggressive seeking to find something. So that's the word that's being used there. It's an active, it's a strong command to seek the things that are above. It's an ongoing and continual demand that Paul is giving to seek the things that are above. And then when you move on to verse 2, in like manner, verse 2 gives the same basic command. It's sort of the, sort of the same, same uh, um, mitzvah there, same command, so to speak. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Just that, that verse right there. Set your mind on things that are above, not that are on the earth. In, in Greek, it's actually very compact. It's one of these very, what you call, pithy kind of statements. It's a very compact statement. Uh, it, literally says, it literally says, the above seek, not the on the earth. You sound like Yoda a little bit, right? But uh, that's, that's kind of what it says in Greek. It doesn't even say things. It just says, the above seek, drive after, seek to obtain, not the on the earth, is what it says. So it's pretty straightforward. Any room for improvement in your life in that area, by the way? Don't raise your hand. Put your hand Seeking the things that are the above. It's very emphatic. It doesn't say seek the above. We in English, we put the verb, you know, sometimes that way. This is the above seek. So it's saying the above seek, not the on the earth. How are you doing in that respect? What did I, what did you spend most of your time this past week thinking about? Worrying about, focusing on the above or the on the earth. Forget this past week. What about this morning? What about this very morning? Now, is this, is this a command for us to have a complete disassociation with anything we experience here on earth? No, the text does not say that. Again, it says to not set your minds on those things, not to desire to obtain or possess those things. I mean, the reality is, is that we've got uh, a lot of things to deal with here on earth. You know, several people ask, how was your week last week? Yeah, I mean, like a lot. Oh, I just spent the week thinking about the things above, you know. No, of course I didn't, you know. Uh, the question is, what am I seeking to obtain and so forth? And the fact is, is that we've got a lot of things to do, right? It's a fact of life that there's things that we have to deal with. But beyond the fact that, I want to give you a little different perspective about thinking about those things, is lest you feel guilty, lest you feel like the Colossians, like I must crucify everything about the, on the earth that I'm thinking about this week. Um, our dealings on the earth, the things we do, and that we end up spending a lot of time, and sometimes an inordinate amount of time on, uh, serve as our witness to others about the things that are in heaven. They really do. It might seem a bit, you know, circular, but our handling of affairs here, our reputation here, our success here by others' standards, not that we're seeking after that, but our success here, our reliability as people, um, being a hard worker, for example, being a good steward of, of things, uh, those are all things that are used to impact and grow the kingdom of heaven. 
And remember what the second half of verse 1 says. It says, seek the things that are above where Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Now, I think sometimes we think, oh, Yeshua did his work. He, he went up to heaven, and he's, he's chilling at the right hand of God. He's sitting. It says he's seated, right? He's lounging, relaxing. Know that when you see seated in the Bible, and maybe you already know this, seated, you know, when a king is seated, he's not just chilling. He's sitting on the throne is what it's talking about. He's enthroned. You might as well say enthroned. Yeshua is enthroned at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. That's the picture. You could say it like this, that you know, seek and set your mind on the things above, that place where Yeshua is, right there at the right hand of God. He's seated, he's ruling, he's reigning with the very power of God at his disposal, at his own right hand, his own hands. So above, this, this place above that it's talking about, is where we find the judge, where we find the advocate, where we find the helper. So therefore, on the one hand, where Yeshua is, where Yeshua is, where we're to focus, is in heaven. It's a different realm than where we are. That's true. But remember, on the other hand, and this literally the right hand we're talking about here, uh, the right hand of God talks about his involvement and his power, which extends to the entirety of his creation here on earth. So I'm not trying to lose you here, but in one sense, we're talking about a heavenly realm, but Yeshua is at the right hand. The right hand controls and is involved in everything right here on earth. Does that make sense? So it's not so much about a geographical location that we are to focus heavenward, you know, uh, with our solar glasses on or whatever. Uh, you know, this is not about up there um, as much as it is about a type and a quality, a quality of existence that's being talked about and what's, what, what is there. So in other words, when our focus is there, Above, it's a focus on the totality of our existence, even here, our present existence and our future existence. So you can think about that a little bit, let it soak in some. This is that old, uh, you may have heard it described as the kind of a dual citizenship model. You're citizens of earth, but simultaneously you're citizens of, uh, of heaven. You're not double-minded. You're not having to choose one place over the other. I can either, I can either invest in heaven or I can invest here. Well, it kind of works both ways. You're kind of a dual, you're, you're in a dual position there. So in practical terms, you strive daily to kill two birds with one stone with everything you're doing by continuing to seek and set your minds on Yeshua. That's the message title for today. So moving on with verse, verse 3 and following. It says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you, will, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So it talks about a hidden life. It talks about you dying and your life hidden in God. A couple things there. Uh, make sure that your, your, um, your hidden life in Messiah is not so hidden that others have no idea about it. Okay? That's a, that's a, that's a balance there, too. Um, but in addition to that, know that being hidden, being hidden with Messiah in God also... Um, is a picture of anything but secrecy, but it's, a, it's not concealment. Um, in fact, because you're, you're often going to bring about, your hidden life in Messiah is probably going to bring about a lot of criticism, uh, maybe even disappointment, uh, misunderstanding from friends and family, that kind of stuff. But also know that it's, uh, it's a, being hidden in God and Messiah, hidden Messiah in God is a place of safety. It's a place of security. So it's a bit of both. 
You read in John 14, this whole kind of uh, almost like a riddle, like you know, I am in you, you in me, we're in him, and this kind of stuff. And it's that, that picture of a very safe and secure place. So as you enter then verse, verse 5 and following, this is where it gets, it gets into all this kind of fun stuff as you even go through pretty much verse 17. And I'll, I'll go through a little bit of it just to kind of, if you're following along in your text, I'm going to s- skip here and there. Um, it's got a lot of fun stuff, good stuff, bad stuff. It says, these are commands again, uh, the, the New Testament that has no commands. Um, Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. You'll find all kinds of differing and translations trying to get at the heart of the matter here, but I think we know what these are. These are the ways you once followed, but you must, but now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language. Strip off the old self with its practices. We'll further down, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Clothe yourselves with love. And let the shalom of Messiah rule in your hearts. So putting to death your earthly nature, as verse 5 says, again, is not referring to everything you experience here in this world. It's specifically talking about sin. Sin in all of its forms, falling short, deliberately going the wrong way, incidental, all all these kind of things. Um, The big picture is that when you die, when you die with Messiah, your life should continually look different than it did before. Okay, it's a, it's a shedding process. Um, a shedding process of you know, putting off the old, putting on the new. The image that Paul uses there uh, is that of removing old clothes and putting on new clothes. You ever... Uh, been real sweaty. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you're working in the yard. Maybe you were like I was in, a few weeks ago, Washington D.C., walking in the humidity, and you, you just think I'm going to get home and take a shower. I'm going to get changed. You go home. You're sweaty. You peel off the sweaty clothes. Put them on the bathroom floor. You take your shower. You towel off, and then you realize I didn't put the new clothes in here. <laughs> and the ba- I, I, to get them, I'm going to have to. You know, everyone's out there. I got to go in front of my family. Maybe you got guests over, and there's no way around it. You got to put that nasty stuff back on again just for a moment, you know, and uh, run back and get your clothes. And Paul is saying, basically, don't do that. You know, shed those dirty clothes, put on some fresh ones. He's not saying the other. He's not saying streak through the house. He's saying don't put those nasty clothes back on. Have that image of you taking these off, you know, and you don't want to put them back on again. He's calling for a, a sober evaluation of, of sinful tendencies. He's calling for self-conscious ending of past and maybe even some current practices by way of you deliberately thinking about them and making prayerful changes, okay? And again, these encouragements and, and, of things to do and these prohibitions of things not to do, given in verse uh, 5 and following, um, these are, this is all during our time here on earth, again, in these different spheres I've talked about. And, and we could go through 
and it, it could be a study, it could be a several week study probably, going through these lists and these details of what he's talking about and look at all the nuances of so forth, um, giving examples, um, teasing out different related activities. We could say, oh, we all know what slander is, but is, is gossip slander? Maybe lying is slander. We could do all this kind of stuff. And that's very good, and I'd encourage you to, to do that. Um, but quite frankly, while this is a list of do's and don'ts, okay, do's and do nots, if you just look at it that way and you just try to muscle through, like I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do this, that would be based on your power and, and sort of doomed to failure. And Paul's basis for this, remember again, before all this, his basis was with your eyes on Yeshua and your eyes on what is above, these things are things that you need to do and these things should become more and more minimized in your lives and ideally not part of your lives at all. In other words, any of these vices, this is often called a vice list. Vices are bad things that people do. You know, that list should be exterminated. And the other things, the virtues, should be cultivated. But the fact that there are all these details here, the fact that, you know, that Paul is going through all of these details, I think is clear that Paul was not promoting some sort of other world asceticism, some otherworldliness. Like, I'm not involved, I, don't, I only live here. You know, but I don't, I'm not with all you guys. Paul clearly is talking about these are things that are going on right here on the earth. These are honest-to-goodness things that you're going to experience in the different spheres. These are honest-to-goodness things that, that are just going to happen in your life. So this is not some otherworldliness. This is real-world how-to-do kind of stuff. And again, as such, it's not a bad idea for you to go through this, these lists and consider, you know, are any of these things taking, taking up too much of my time? Am I spending too much time in, in some of these vice areas or not enough time in some of these virtue areas? It's very, I think it's very good for you to consider doing that. But again, as a matter of course and as a matter of our position as believers, Paul is saying that a believer's life in this world can only be lived in these ways by a power beyond this world. So again, it's just kind of both and. I'll say that again. A believer's life in this world can only be lived by a power that's beyond this world. Okay, this is a pretty hefty list. The good stuff's really good. It'd be great to do all these things, and the bad stuff's pretty bad. It's bad if we're doing those things. So it takes a power beyond us. And it's not automatic. This new life is not something that's just automatic. Like, you know, uh, you got some pain in your knee? Go have a knee replacement. Next day, whoo, you're up and running, right? Is that how it works? You know, ask some people who've had some knee replacements in here. Ask Dan Bacon when he gets back, most recent uh, person, you know. Did you just jump out of bed the next day? No, there's some recovery, there's some rehab, there's a trust that comes through repetition that slowly but surely convinces you that when you, you know, do this, remember, you tell the doctor, well, it hurts when I do this, so don't do that, right, you know, uh, but eventually, once you have that surgery, it takes you a while before you're convinced, and you convince yourself that when I do this, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anymore, and you might even <coughs> take you a while, they might even limp for a while, you might favor that over some time, but eventually, the confidence grows, you become stronger, right? And confidence that the change, you know what, the change it really has come. It takes some time. But you say, you know what, I, I know something's happened now. And if that whole process, if that weren't part of the picture of, again, our lives as believers, then I think, you know, it'd be just like the, the knee person jumping right up the next day. I think we'd kind of doubt they even had the surgery, you know. It'd kind of be the same way. So this now but not yet picture for believers, we all are in it, we all go through it, it, it 
believers in Yeshua, it should not be a point of confusion or a point of tension. It's simply a matter of reality. It's just the way it is, right? But without seeking and setting your minds on God, you become confused. But as you approach the end of, of your earthly lives, you know, you'll start to wonder, is this it? Is this all there is? You know, that seemed kind of short. So without a focus on God, without seeking and setting your mind on Yeshua, you become depressed, you become desperate, you become scared, you become uncertain. I think that's a reality. I've seen that with a, a member of my family right now. They, they got a million, they're facing surgery, and they've got a million questions, a million unanswered questions, and quite frankly, with their viewpoint on life, they're unanswerable questions. There's no answers for them because there's no common focal point, you know? And any of us that are, that are believers in Yeshua, uh, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be sadness, there's going to be fear. But with God and with our minds set on the above things, um, where Yeshua is seated at the right hand of the Father, as it says, we may not have all the answers either, but at least we have a, a, a point in the horizon to focus on. That's a big difference. It's a very big difference, a point on the horizon to look towards. You know, Jewish thought, uh, if you're familiar with it, talks about um, the idea of life after death, and lots of different thoughts, but some of them are, you know, you live on through your descendants. That's kind of what the focus is. You invest in your, your children and your descendants because you're going to live on through them, um, some, sometimes even literally, but, you know, figuratively, that's kind of your legacy. Even sort of other mystical thought thinks that through your good deeds and the stuff that you do, you know, these are the these are the things that, that you're going to live on through, you know, through, through the, the, the things you establish from a um, humanitarian type of standpoint. And this is not just limited to Jewish thought. You know, a lot of other people have these kind of ideas, and they hope for these kind of things. I hope that's what it's about, you know. But the fact of the matter is, is that we will all live for eternity with God or without God, right? That's, that's, the, uh, that's the fact of the matter. But be sure that when you leave here today that you know without any doubt which eternity you're headed for. Decide today for the first time or whether it's a rededication to, to seek and set your mind on Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this encouragement from your word, this encouragement to keep our focus on you, to be lifted up where you are, Lord, to gain your perspective on you who rules and reigns with power, Lord, that extends to all, all, of, all, of, uh, all of the universe. I ask, Lord, you'd help each person today to embrace the reality of who you are and embrace the reality that with their eyes on you, they're able to, to stay on the course you've set before them, to run the race that you've set before them. And I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that is still focusing on and relying on the world or themselves or something else, if their focus is on something else that's not in that realm of where you are, that today they would shed that, Lord, like an old, dirty set of clothes, and they'd put their faith and their trust in you. I ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.